नमस्ते एवरीवन वेलकम टू द चार वर्क पॉडकास्ट दिस इज योर होस्ट कुशल मेहरा ऑल राइट माय गेस्ट टुडे इज शेखर गुप्ता शेखर इज द एडिटर इन चीफ एंड चेयरमैन ऑफ द प्रिंट यू ऑब्वियसली नो शेखर फ्रॉम आई डोंट नो वेयर डू वी से वी टॉक अबाउट वॉक द टॉक एनडीटीवी और इज लॉन्ग स्टेंस इन इंडियन एक्सप्रेस इंडिया टुडे इज आल्सो अ कॉलमनिस्ट इन बिजनेस स्टैंडर्ड और और कुछ बोलने की जरूरत नहीं है सो शेखर थैंक्स अ लॉट फॉर कमिंग ऑन द पॉडकास्ट thanks a lot for asking me i'm happy to happy to be here and i'm happy to accomplish right. you oh th- thanks a lot for doing that I, i mean actually you reached out to me on that subject so i'm actually very grateful to you um uh, shekhar so today's t- obvious uh, subject is journalism in india but uh, you know so the charvak podcast at least is known for uh, having discussions where we always try to talk about a philosophy of a subject because uh, mo- more often than not i believe that when we talk about any issue or any topic we need to get into the philosophy and obviously you're a veteran journalist in indian uh, in india so my my first question to you is as a journalist do you think there is something like an, an objective truth and we need to define it or or are journalists ever taught about objective truths when they get into journalism well all journalists are taught if they go to a proper journalism school they are taught about looking for the objective truth but does a journalist ever say can a journalist ever says now i have found the final objective truth if anybody says that that is that journalist lacks one key quality that a journalist must have that is skepticism so you must always have skepticism now i'll give you an example uh, when anna hazare phenomenon was rising and i was one of the few critics and i thought this was all fake this was political uh, anna hazare was no gandhi but there was a general belief oh gandhi is come back and at that point i said that look gandhi look at gandhi gandhi had doubts and skepticism about everything that he was doing and he introspected when he thought something had gone wrong he would go go on a fast but here is anna hazare a man who has zero doubt that he is mahatma gandhi right so this has to be a fake uh, so similarly for a journalist if a journalist says that this is the absolute final truth then the journalist is not journalist lacks skepticism so you have to say this is the absolute objective truth as i know at this point of time it can change tomorrow and when change changes tomorrow i will change with it and i will also explain to you why why i am changing my view or my perception all right then then let's let's get into that because that's very important so, so uh, you've given a very good answer here that as per the basis of the claims or, or as per on the basis of the evidence a journalist is supposed to go there but then do uh, do you think journalism in india today because the topic is journalism in india it's not just my view or your view do you think journalism in india today is actually on the path of truth seeking on an average i'm not talking about any particular side or anything i i i genuinely am interested on an average basis you are here for the longest time you observe journalism in india do you think we uh, uh, punjabi mein kehte hai na jugni or the essence the raison d'etre is the raison d'etre of journalism truth seeking in india well <laughs> there is journalism and journalism and journalism uh and a lot of definite new definitions have come in so today you have a situation where anybody who has a smartphone says i am a journalist because i can tweet something 
or I can write something. Any activist also says, because I wrote a blog someplace or I wrote two op-ed articles, I am a journalist. Uh, we've also had some other pestilence like citizen journalists. And I use that word very uh, consciously, pestilence, because I don't like the idea of citizen journalists is anathema to me. Because I believe that journalism is a profession for which you need training, just as medicine is a profession and law is a profession. So I keep saying when people say, why don't you like the idea of citizen journalists? I tell them once you start going to citizen doctors and once you start hiring citizen lawyers, when you are in real trouble with the law, then I will give you, then I will listen to citizen journalists. Because journalism teaches you skepticism. It teaches you the need to get the other side it teaches you to remember the consequences of what you are doing. It teaches you many things. It's a profession. But today, the definition has become as there is democratization of access uh, of the platform. The definition of journalism has become very loose now. So I'll start with that qualification. The second thing that's happened is that all democracies now uh, are polarized heavily on left-right lines. Uh, left and right are, are defined differently in various countries. Unfortunately, in our country, uh, left and right means mainly on social issues. Otherwise, everybody's left on the economy. That's why Charbak podcast is so important. Because at least somebody in Hindu culture, Indian culture, old ancient culture, thought about hedonism and thought about uh, materialism uh, and did not judge it. Otherwise, you know, uh, today, though, uh, unless you are stone poor, uh, you are not virtuous. Uh, and particularly if you are self-made, then you are really guilty of something. Right? That is, and we might say this is a Gandhian uh, effect or whatever it is. I think hypocrisy came in much earlier than that. So, so today in that polarization, I mean, we saw this very clearly in America in the Trump phase. And we are seeing it now in America. Even now, you find on the liberal side, a lot of the papers are not willing to really call out Joe Biden for, for truly the incompetence of his handling of Afghanistan. I will not, I let his policy be. He was committed to withdrawing. All right, you withdraw. But look at the shambolic way in which it, it was done. You can, you can forgive a leader for his policy decision said, okay, he made a judgment call. It was right. It was wrong. Leader may insist it's right. But for incompetence, how can you? Uh, so objective view on Biden has to be that I may have voted for him, but the fellow and his government have acted completely incompetently. That is, that is the objective truth. But India is no exception. India, if anything, is even more polarized. So what's happened in India is in that process. And this is a line that you know, uh, I must attribute it to whoever spoke it. That is Barkhata. She said that Indian media is now divided into two categories, chamchas and morchas. Uh, and I, I use that line then to say, chamche ek taraf ke bunkers mein hai, aur morche ek taraf ke bunkers mein hai. Though bunkers ke beach mein, there is a lot of open space. So we walk in that open space. The danger there is, the risk is, but it's a risk you consciously take, that as they trade fire, nothing hits them because they are in the bunkers. Anybody who's in the middle gets hit by both sides. So you get caught in the crossfire. Now, how many, how, which element of Indian journalism is doing that? Uh, it's not for me 
to define that because you know readers viewers everybody has their perceptions and ultimately it's a question of who do you believe look our country has come a long way uh, in 1971 i was 14 years old not yet 14 but my mom would not believe that dhaka had fallen until she had heard from mark telly that dhaka had fallen from the bbc in 1984 rajiv gandhi traveling in west bengal would not believe that his mother had been assassinated until he heard on the bbc that his mother was assassinated right today do you need to listen to cnn or bbc or somebody will tell you what happened in india so in terms of just the trust levels with all our flaws with all the warts with everything that we fret about and i can spend an hour bitching about this and that right journalists are very good at bitching about others and uh, i can tell you also how i am the best or we are the best uh, but the fact is that overall the media has become for a force for good now maybe in our public deb- debate we focus too much on the media that's okay uh, that's because media is so high profile but by and large journalism is a force for good that i will say for sure in fact when i go to many institutions and academies uh, and people ask me about how to about tv channels being going this way or going that way etc etc so i ask them a trick question and the trick question is how many of you know the name mark telly and whatever the age of the audience even in colleges a lot of hands go up if it's 40 plus all every hand goes up right then i ask them can you tell me the name of the bbc bureau chief in india now <laughs> nobody knows then i ask them can you tell me the name of a bbc bureau chief in india any bbc bureau chief chief in india after martelly retired more than 30 years back i still haven't found an answer the closest i found is somebody saying satish shekar but he was not the bureau chief he was deputy to martelly so because since then we haven't had to remember this the stardom of foreign media has gone away because you trust your own media in kargil nawaz sharif said this on the record in fact on walk the talk to me he said that my army was telling me there's no fighting in kargil and my, and we would say but indians are saying they've taken tiger hill and our, my army would tell me there is no such thing as tiger hill until my wife saw it on ztv and she called me and she said eh dekho ji tiger hill so media is a force for good we disagree we fight sometimes we abuse uh, our fellow journalists sometimes we face abuse but we also get a lot of praise uh, so that's all a part of life but here's the thing uh, shekhar i want to pick your brains on a particular thing that you said where you said you know journalism is a specialized job and uh you alluded to a lot of what's going on right now today on the, the garb of journalism is not really journalism so so how would i differentiate the two let's say i'll i'll, I'll draw a narrative to you so what happens is um this is my view and uh, i mean to be very honest i i think it's very important to state my view in the open i don't believe you there is anything like neutrality human i don't believe there is a neutral human there is an indifferent human like i could be indifferent to many things like i'll be very honest i'm indifferent to what's happening in myanmar i don't have an opinion on it but i won't say i'm neutral about it what happens uh, in my opinion in a lot of journalism and again this is not about anything 
uh, I, I lose use the term left wing journalism uh, with a lot of trepidation because I don't want to come across as someone who's trying to you know force my view onto anyone because I genuinely don't intend to do that. But my thing is there is this garb of neutrality that I somehow believe that has been taken over. Do you think a journalist can be neutral? Like, don't journalists also become like they, they're humans, right? Just you and I. So uh, I mean. They also have their likes and dislikes, right? So how does a journalist ensure that their biases will not creep into the reportage? Well, first of all, uh, I have no disagreement with you. In fact, I say it again and again that a journalist is never neutral. A journalist can be objective. Don't confuse objectivity or truth-telling with neutrality. A bot can be neutral. A human being can't be neutral. So any human being says, I'm neutral. Right? A human being can't be neutral. Because President of India votes, Chief Justice of India votes, Chief Election Commissioner of India votes, journalists vote. Sometimes we vote one side or the other. Sometimes we don't like either. We don't vote. So we all are political animals and we have views and beliefs in a democracy. That's a healthy thing. But then, let me give you a very stark example. Now, I'm a complete partisan when it comes, I'm complete nationalist partisan when it comes to sport, right? I cannot see India losing. I mean, cricket is bad enough, but hockey, I don't even watch hockey because I get so tense. My late father used to watch hockey matches with a strip of jalousin, the antacid, on one side, and his pack of cigarettes on the other. I don't even smoke, so I don't watch hockey because I'm so partisan. But if Indian team loses, can I write a story saying no? Indian team won, the umpire cheated, right? Or Indian team won a moral, Indian team won a moral victory. Or can I just say forget it? What happened? I'm telling you, Indian team won. I can't. So that applies to news as well. You may not like news, right? So your neutrality goes for a chuck because you don't like the news. But what do you do? You have to give that news. Problem arises these days with a lot of opinionated journalism on both sides, left as well as right, where even if it's news that you don't like, right, or you like very much, you then have to give it, you have to package it in some way to say, oh, say, if, okay, India beat us at lots, but this Indian team is very arrogant and they're very uncouth. They use bad language. Virat Kohli has taught them bad manners. How can nice, decent uh, Englishmen who uh, face up to them after all, they deliver their swear words in nice English. These fellows respond in Punjabi, right? Uh, so that is different. But I would say that neutrality is impossible. Uh, it's never been the proposition of the print or the Indian Express, which I edited, or in my own writings, that we are neutral. But we are not hyphenated. We are not predeterminately on one side or the other. So on, it's issue-based. On some issues, you will find we supported the Modi government greatly. The farm reform bills, for example, uh, the uh, labor reform bills, the bank denationalization. So many of these, the withdrawal of the retrospective amendment. So people say, what happened But the handling of the pandemic, we were very critical of. I myself wrote five or six columns and then I got a lot of gully. And then people on the other side say, you always say something, you always say something. So 
the expectation also that you should be that your views should be predictable on everything in terms of being hyphenated on one side that is not expectation of neutrality that's expectation of confirmed partisanship irrespective of the facts of a story or the facts of a case uh, and that is something that we have to jostle with but i'll tell you something when you look at your universe beyond the tiny bit of social media that is twitter uh, janta outside knows it janta outside also knows the mistakes you make uh, and i get very humbled sometimes and i will give you an example from a very distant past long before internet was uh, invented long before email came in and I, 1983 my first year in india today my first cover story in india today was a profile on sunil gavaskar when he scored his 20th 100 in delhi and started using the skull cap so those days india today was a big deal so i got full access i spent 10 10 days in bombay several days with his family and i met his son who was a kid then in 83 and i said sunil and marshneel have a son called rohan as he has been named after the west indian icon that sunil admires and bats left handed like him now even now sometimes i have people walking up to me and saying you know so much about cricket how could you say that rohan kanhai bats left handed rohan kanhai bats right handed right so i got that one fact wrong and even now i am reminded can you imagine if i do it now twitter will go mad it will be a trending hashtag right so so we also have a very uh, questioning environment now in which we work and in that questioning environment the inclination ke boss let me be on one side at least that one side will not abuse me and hopefully that one side will also support me that is something that real journalists have to avoid because you are walking in the middle you are not in a bunker and you are caught in the crossfire from both sides and i see a lot of people are still able to do it a lot of publications are still able to do it not enough but a lot do yeah but here's the thing right shekhar in today's day and age i mean not that i'm not used to this now i mean there's not even a day where i will not piss somebody or the other off uh, about some view of mine but here's the problem with but what do you do when journalism in india itself um again this is my opinion i i find journalism in india becoming more and more opinion driven and less and less reportage driven not that there isn't reportage please don't get me wrong i'm not saying there is no reportage there is reportage but uh, for a healthy society what should matter more uh, a person who has opinions on things or a person who's going out there telling me what's really happening out there on the ground i'm not saying it's a either or binary but if i was to hedge my bets on what is the what is the place where journalism should be what i find nowadays is that everybody seems to have an opinion on everything and and for for some odd reason or not it's the opinion columnist 
uh, that is given more importance these days rather than that that old school reporter that travels let's say 200 kilometers 300 kilometers away from mumbai goes out there finds out what's happening inside that area and reports that so so do you think that essence of journalism has also changed post the 1990s with uh, liberalization and india even in a very small baby step way adopting capitalism no i think that's it that that's excessive uh, frankly before i start answering this i will tell you that we just had a reporter return from afghanistan uh, nainima basu from kabul uh, covering the war uh, war torn city uh, we have at this point a reporter and our photo editor in meghalaya covering the disturbances another is traveling through eastern up looking at stories of rural distress uh, Another reporter, photographer, I've been traveling deep in Tamil Nadu, bringing you stories from the ground. So first of all, uh, I was trained as a reporter. And once a reporter, always a reporter. I started writing opinion much later in life, because what do you do once you become editor and you can't travel so much? And uh, I became an, a full-time editor in 1995. I had an editorial title and designation and role in India Today from 88 onwards for seven years. But it was still a little bit relaxed, so I could still go out and report. But once I took over the Express in 95, there was no possibility of going out and reporting. So I became, so I developed uh, a concept of writing opinion. But if you see my opinion, for example, a lot of it is, uh, it is drawn from my reporting experience or my reporter's eye. Uh, but I take your point, and that point is correct. Uh, that. I'm not judging opinionated journalism, but I will tell you, like a politician today, uh, in today's situation of populism and polarization, like a politician talks only to his base or only to her base and never mind the others, opinionated journalism also talks only to its base. Uh, and that's where people like us find space. Because, you know, if this lot is talking to this base and this lot is talking to this base, then people have to see, even people who belong to that base have to see per khabar kiske paas hai, ye to paas. So a lot of people read opinionated journalism partly for entertainment and partly for the, for the satisfaction that I usko bought thoka, right? Because I dislike that person. Yeah, uski bought tarif ki because I so love that person. But still, if this is the way journalism had completely got divided, then a lot of the publications would not have survived, would not be surviving. And even today, don't get misled by television journalism. Television journalism in terms of Indian media's economy is very small, very small and very shambolic. Most of it is, most of television news is making losses or very minor profits, except the leading channels in Hindi and some languages. But the larger soul of journalism, in spite of all this, and in spite of these pressures is alive. Now you talked about 1990. No, in fact, uh, economic reform in India and the economic boom redefined Indian journalism in a very good way. Because before that, almost no publication would send out a reporter to report a story because nobody had the money. And India Today became a big deal in the 80s because India Today would send people out. And people, even when I joined India Today in 83, after leaving the Indian Express after six years, I was treated very well in the Indian, Indian Express. I was heading their bureau in the Northeast at a very young age. But are, India Today, you fly to places, right? 
इंडिया टुडे में आप जाते हो तो यू स्टे इन कंफर्टेबल होटल्स राइट दिस वॉज अनहर्ड ऑफ बट आफ्टर नाइनटी वन दिस स्प्रेड आउट एंड ए लॉट मेनी जर्नलिस्ट गॉट क्रिएटेड आर डेमोग्राफिक्स रियली इम्प्रूव्ड एंड आई विल ऑल्सो टेल यू समथिंग until economic reform in india uh, especially in the private sector it was very important where you had come from it was very important who your parents were it was very important which college or school your daddy went to or which club which club membership you inherited right uh, in fact many of the corporate sector used to hire like that oh are you from st stephen's college are you from those school who was your dad also oh, and so was your batchmate what economic reform did was because of economic boom industry including media industry suddenly needed a lot of skilled people and then the catchment area from these elite campuses and elite families was very small so they had to reach out elsewhere so people like us who were brought up in complete hindi medium and who when we first started speaking uh, in english say on camera uh, i'll tell you a real life story first few recordings i did was on news track that madhu trehan used to run at uh, india today and they knew uh, the accent in which i spoke hindi uh, english it's it's pretty bad right now it's not it's not the bbc accent and it was much worse 35 years back and i heard people saying behind my back are how can you put him on uh, an english show his accent is between ludhiana and ghaziabad and an nri from jackson heights right which is a suburb as you know of uh, um, new york so but there was no everybody needed people like us and that is what led to the rise of the hmts the hindi medium types as i called them in indian media as well and that's how the tv channels came in and that's how there were so many journalists and we benefited from many events of history 77 lifting of the emergency i was lucky i passed out of my journalism school at that point and got my first job and because mrs gandhi had censored the media for 2 years nobody said the media said journalists and all of india said are baba you bada galat kaam kiya bada cheap kaam kiya inko censor kar diya inki azadi chahiye they are good people so i would say that overall economic growth etc capitalism has been very good for indian journalism i know that i could get trolled by now this side for saying that but look capitalism is not a perfect system there is no such thing as a perfect system every system is unfair but it is the least unfair of what you might have because what we saw by the in the name of socialism in india was really crony socialism Yeah, so so there's this amazing system, right? So I, I think it was a very famous evolutionary biologist who had said, "Socialism, very good system, wrong species, might work on ants, never works on humans." I think it was E. O. Wilson or someone of that sort who had said that said that about social socialism. But here's the thing again on journalism, Shekhar. Uh, this is something that has always i don't understand it look i i get human beings are hypocritical but then human beings should also not get preachy beyond a point and i find this weird trend in journalism in india where 
I don't know when the journalist is an activist and the activist becomes a journalist. I I always thought that was a conflict of interest. That if you're an activist, you should not do journalism, and if you're a journalist, you should not do activism. But in India, I really and again, this is not something about a particular side. I just think this is a trend in India where activism. It's like you know they are somehow I feel journalists sometimes are like ichadari nagin and nags. They 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 you know bhes dharan kar lete hain situation ke hisab se. Kabi wo activist ho jate hain, kabi wo journalist ho jate hain. And in such a scenario like i'll be very honest a lot of times you know people journalists give lessons to the society about how india has casteism now anybody who knows this podcast knows like i am for the open annihilation of the caste system like i mean i am the worst hater when it comes to that system and and i don't need to talk about that but the point is but then i look at journalism in india and i'll be very honest over here i don't see real mm. affirmative action in the editorial boards in this country i i don't see that or if i if i if if there is i would like to be corrected then why do journalists indulge in activism when they can't even practice what they preach in india see first of all <clears throat> i am very old fashioned and very conservative about these things so i think journalists should not be activists that is that doesn't mean that i am judging those who are activists and also use journalism because gandhi was an activist but he used journalism uh, so activists have used journalism forever uh, but it's also true that before independence i don't know who said it was it bg burgis or somebody somebody said that before independence india did not have newspapers india had views papers uh, so you can be an activist so i'm not judging activism but you know what bores me is virtue signaling too many people feel pressured particularly with the pressure of twitter to be virtue signaling all the time you know just leave people alone our job is to our job is to bring the story who the hell are we to say subah aapko brush karna chahiye sham ko aapko time pe sona chahiye aapne ye sab gol khaya tha ke nahi right uh, we are it's, it's that's not for us to do but i find that virtue signaling now is a big pressure on a lot of journalists who are addressing their twitter audiences uh, and media organizations across the world mainstream media organization organizations who are generally unhyphenated they are struggling with this with their journalists as well uh, if you go to our homepage you will find our code of ethics for our journalists which lays down very clear parameters for what our journalists can do on social media and we say that you shall not say on social media as full time journalists of the print what cannot be published what will not be published on the print so you can't say wo to mera personal view hai so and so and so is it so and so wo nahi allow karte it's a struggle because we also don't want to stop everybody's freedom of expression and people have their views it's a struggle some people implement it more strongly say india today group in india implements it the most strongly at this point uh, but new york times washington post they all had to deal with this and they are dealing with it wall street journal uh, all big papers in the world big publications are dealing with this that is you know abhi ye ho gaya aapne iske upar kuch kyun nahi bola so if i tell people lekin hum to story kare abhi story ho jayegi the story nahi aap kuch bolo but then to explain to people but i am not the institution uh, so that is a temptation too many people think they are the institution uh, so people ask me for example are why did you set up this print you are working without a salary also you invested some of your own savings here uh, why didn't you just set yourself up as a uh, columnist uh, you could have given gyan all over the world 
done three TV shows, earned a lot of money. You have a big social media following. You could have built it more. And I quote to them a line that a very dear friend of mine, Tom Friedman, once used. He visited our newsroom in the Express. And one youngster asked him the same question. The question was, you are a big name all over the world. Uh, you are a big searched name. You are a keyword. Why do you have to work for the New York Times? And he said, I can't work for Tom at Friedman.com. I have to work for an institution. That's my identity. So I think too many journalists today are confused because they start thinking that their Twitter following is their identity. And that causes a problem. The second thing is caste. Now, caste is an issue. And I agree with you that our newsrooms are not, they do not reflect the reality of India's caste. In fact, I would tell you, the only place in India, the only institution in India where I've seen the which I've seen reflect the reality of India's caste are government academies. It can be Lal Bahadur Shastri National Administrative Academy in Missouri. It can be the National Academy of Direct Taxes. It can be any of the government academies because they have reservation. Uh, so I see tribal faces. Uh, I see people who are Dalits. But that's because they have reservation. Now, the private sector has to address it because not addressing it means one, that you're being unfair to a majority of Indians. And second, you're missing out on a lot of talent. For us to think that all of India's talent resides in 20% of its population is incredible self-denial. Uh, but different institutions have to find different ways of doing it and creating meritocracies and building affirmative action within that. Uh, now I can tell you that our newsroom, I will not identify anybody because nobody got hired because of that reason. But we've had many people from what is today described as a Bahujan group working with us. A uh, large number of minorities, uh, I would say in the larger percentage than their share of our population. Where we have trouble right now, and some tribals also, but mostly the tribals come from the Northeast because uh, they their languages have been converted to Roman script. They know English. They are uh, more outgoing. Uh, but Dalits, there is an issue. And I will give you a practical uh, experience I will share with you. So a friend of mine who was my classmate in journalism, topper in our class, named Ashwini Bindlas, uh, he became a big corporate CEO, etc., etc. So at one point we said that, look, uh, at our school of journalism at Punjab University. Let's start fellowships. So every year we will give this much money from our own uh, accounts by way of contribution for two Dalit students, fully paid for scholarships, hostel, lodging, boarding, tuition, everything. For two years, the university was not able to find us those two students. Uh, although it was announced that this money is available. And then I went to ask the university, Punjab University in Chandigarh, this is the central government university, that how come you are not finding anybody? They said, look, because people among scheduled castes and tribes who get educated and who are ambitious are first targeting government services. First target is IAS, etc. And by the time they think of journalism, it's too late. So it's difficult for us to find anybody. We couldn't find anybody and we gave up. Now, I see a lot of people saying that people from these communities will be given 
preference. Now you have to go by your judgment. Okay, maybe a tribal you can identify. Certainly somebody from minorities you can identify. But how do you identify somebody's caste? Do we now start asking people their caste? Uh, in some cases it's obvious. In some cases it's not obvious. But when you build a meritocracy, then merit breaks through the glass ceiling. And I'll give you an example. India never had fast bowling. Right? For the longest time, India depended on, it, on its spin bowlers. Then for about a decade, India depended on its batsmen. When you had Sehwag, Dravid, Tendulkar, VVS Lakshman, Ganguly, the magnificent five, right? Then, in fact, the Indian coach told me that, I think John Ryer it was, that we, I have told them that we have to presume that the opposition will bat 125 overs. <coughs> Can we <coughs> outbat them? What's happened today? Today you have the world's richest storehouse of fast bowling talent. You can field four fit bowlers anytime when one was injured and have three other first-class fast bowlers on the bench. You have Umesh Yadav on the bench, you have Shardul Thakur on the bench and you can have all these four magnificent people out in the field and you have Bhubaneshwar Kumar at home and Saini and everybody. How did that happen? Listen to these names. Listen to these names and you know that this would not have happened if BCCI had not built up a truly meritocratic system whereby members of the minorities, who's Shami, who's Siraj, right? Who's Bumrah, uh, who's Bhuvneshwar Kumar? These are not the old demographics of an Indian cricket team from the 70s or the 80s. Demographics of Indian cricket have completely changed because you built a truly meritocratic system. Uh, and that is how this talent is coming out. So, so build a true meritocracy. If, you, if we give up casteism to the extent that we don't favor people from our caste, upper castes, or think that this is The moment we start thinking that merit is genetic, then we are followers of Hitler because then we are looking at eugenics. Right? Uh, but if you build a meritocracy, then just as it's happened in the Indian cricket team, it's always happened in the Indian hockey team, uh, it'll happen uh, with newsrooms as well. And it has to happen with newsrooms. Uh, in America, it's easier because you can distinguish between white and black, white and colored. It's tougher in India. But but I think many of us are conscious of it and we are getting there. All right. So, Shekhar, I'm also very aware that uh, so many live viewers want to ask you questions. But I have uh, one last question. And, and you, you know, this is specific to your current avatar because you did talk about journalism and how the internet has, in a way, you know, change journalism or not and now you're basically i would you consider print to be an online portal or not it is right it's a primarily online portal right yes it's 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 fully an online portal uh and i don't think we have any intention now of going out in print initially we thought we might have a print avatar also because i went to meet people at politico uh and i saw that they used to produce a once in two months magazine uh politico magazine like this uh, large format, beautifully produced, and having worked in print all my life, having worked 12 years for India today, there's always been nostalgia. I thought, apna bhi like magazine nikalega, ka price uska, ya ka price rakhega, 4,000, 5,000 copies five-star hotels, mein, salons, mein, doctors' ka waiting rooms, but 
पॉलिटिशियंस के कमरे में होगा बिकॉज पीपल की सॉलिड कॉपी प्रिंटेड कॉपी बट नो दैट आइडिया इज नॉट देयर बिकॉज आई वॉज बिट्रेइंग माई जेनरेशन एंड माई लैक ऑफ अंडरस्टैंडिंग ऑफ टेक्नोलॉजी सुन इनफ आई रियलाइज that technology has now completely lowered the entry barriers in our profession it used to take people three generations four generations to build a newspaper brand now you can build a brand in a couple of years you can build a brand in your lifetime even when you start at 60 which is what i did with the print i was in, in fact a week short of 60 when we started it and a week from now we'll be four years old right uh, so uh, so i now respect technology uh, and i am also figuring out every other day i learn a new trick and it's there is a sense of excitement we learn to use youtube i what is youtube you watch cat videos there or you know you want to watch a free movie song you can watch it there right but now youtube has given us a channel we have 1.7 million subscribers almost going up the, at the rate of 2 3000 a day and many of them are now paying to be members so i know that's a long way to go and the revenues you get on digital media come in very small units uh, but that's that's the way the market is the market is never wrong you have to learn to live with the market so i respect technology now and we are going to be online but we have to be much better online we have to learn many more things online and we have to see why did we call the print the print i mean it's it's counter intuitive yeah and i will tell you why and i will give you the incident uh, sharad pawar turned 75 sharad pawar 75 there was a big reception for him at delhi's vigyan bhavan uh the who's who of india were there on the stage there was narendra modi there was uh, sonia gandhi there was everybody every political leader from every party was there so as i was sitting there another eminent editor a former editor who became a politician uh, was sitting next to me and i said you know i was coming up and on the way i read an article by so and so saying that because sharad pawar has, has collected all these people at his birthday celebration 75th birthday tells you that he is the most likely candidate to be the next president of india so i was telling this other fellow editor of mine ke dekho ye ye india hai he is turning 75 he kept his relationships people will come on his 75th birthday celebration right to then extrapolate them into the argument that everybody will accept him as president this is a polarized india why would anybody accept a president like that a president will be from the bjp side they have majority why would they cede to anybody so is there but people write all kinds of stuff i said no but in this case the person who has written it is an accomplished journalist and editor in his own right has been so for many years why has he done it is it because he is now running a digital platform because once you go digital then you don't don't look at so much logic then you just type and log out and then i said that expectation is that digital is frivolous so we'll be using technology but we'll keep the serious boring approach to news of the print media so sometimes we are not the first with news we take our time we are highly edited i believe that the essence of journalism is editorial intermediation uh, nothing should be published unless it's edited definitely anything i write is not published unless it's edited very tightly edited 
fact checked by somebody uh, it's very important uh, so that's where we are i think technology is a wonderful thing it's just that pe more people have to learn to pay for news on uh, digital media because people think somehow the digital to free hota hai so here's the problem then shekhar and now i'm going to start incorporating the live viewers questions also because i'm taking their essence so a lot of so, so you use the very important point here that something uh, some sort of editorial process has to be involved in this but then you know the, with the digitization of news has come in this uh, new era of uh, fact checkers uh, fact checking with quotes and then within them and this is a question by sa a live viewer is and i i like the word they have used uh, they call it straw man fact checking so what they're saying is straw man fact checking is basically taking a subset of a particular incident and then basically you know sharing one instance of uh, let's say a fake incident and then drawing a larger narrative with that now in this kind of I, I, let's just talk about new york times and the recent claim by new york times that the indian government is only going to look at uh, muslims and sikh folks in afghanistan to do that but the clear press release from the government of india was category i think it was a point 3 if i remember in the press release they were like this is the portal go there your religion does not matter aap apply kariye hum but then if a new york times does a straw man fact check and tries to paint a narrative because they wanted to paint a narrative about this government because this government got a caa and because they got caa so i hate them it's almost as if when it comes to journalism these days i find and look i don't hide myself i've never hidden my that i vote for the bjp i believe it's not a crime it's a democracy you should be very open about who you vote for i don't know i, I always find this hari main nahi bataunga main kiske liye vote kar raha hu very funny i to say openly main to bhai vote karta hu aur baith ke twitter roz twitter pe bjp ko galiyan bhi deta hu koi problem nahi hai sanu ki so the problem is that how do you deal with this problem of straw and fact checking these days look uh... I mean, I will give you the newsroom answer. We are not easily swayed by any of this. We see it as static, right? Uh, noise. Uh, and my favorite line in the newsroom for many years has been, "A journal journalist must have his or her bullshit detector on, right? Because we are being hit by so much bullshit all the time. So a lot of this, what you call a storm and fact checking, is also bullshit." now how does a big paper like the times go wrong on something like this now one again there is a lot of politicization of our thinking and there is a lot of herd mentality if you see the debate on caa neither the supporters of caa nor the opponents of caa understand the caa because they have not bothered to read the law right uh, they have not bothered to re read the law that's what uh, Steve Cohen used to say that the reason the Americans were not able to guess Pokhran too is because in the American establishment nobody would read anything that is not classified. So, and the manifesto of the BJP was not classified. Manifesto of the BJP had one para. They said the moment we come to power, we will try. We will test nuclear weapons. So read the law. If you read the law. that both sides are wrong but that side is one side that says oh this means only hindus and sikhs who come in will be given indian citizenship under caa wrong the other side that says that under caa muslims can't be given indian citizenship 
or refuge, they are wrong because CAA restricts that law, impact of that law to December 31, 2014. It cannot, cannot be applied retrospectively. Anybody coming in now, Hindu, Muslim, uh, both Sikh, is now governed by India's naturalization laws. But, I mean, I don't know how to answer for another newsroom or the processes of another publication. But I, I repeat this all the time. In fact, I've also said that CAA had one intent. But CAA plus NRC becomes problematic. And CAA plus NRC came up because Assam had NRC. And in India, for a long time, there has been the Assam exception. Even with CAA, there was an Assam exception. Um, so the simile I use is that CAA is like a rocket, right? Like a PSLV or GSLV. You can put anything on it. You can put satellites on it. You can put Chandrayaan on it. You can put uh, Mangalyaan on it. Or you can put a multi-megaton warhead on it. So NRC is like the warhead. Because NRC then makes the distinction between Hindu and Muslim among those that you identify. That is the reason you find that after the protests, uh, Narendra Modi himself in his Ramlila Maidan speech said, Na NRC kisi ne socha hai, na NRC kabhi cabinet ne socha hai, na uske liye koi kanun bana hai, na NRC koi karne wala hai. So to that extent, he tried to take away the impact of that statement from Amit Shah in West Bengal, which was aap chronology samajhi, pehle CAA hoga, fir NRC hoga. And you see that since then, even Modi government has not repeated the word NRC. Uh, and they've also cleaned up their language, etc. on Bangladesh, because they realized also that Bangladesh is India's only major friendly neighbor. So, but you know, to, to explain nuances sometimes, I mean, I had the same problem on the other side earlier, on farmer suicides, that, you know, human beings commit, commit suicides. So, if you say 60% of Indians live on farming, then 60% of all of India's suicides logically should be among farming families. That is not even the case. In fact, if you cut the demographics of suicides, the largest group is housewives. The second largest group is students. Uh, number of farmers killing themselves by suicide is terrible and it's very tragic. But it is and I say this with great humility because I know what I can face for saying this. But the fact is that it does not tell you that because there is massive farm distress, farmers are dying like God knows whatever. Uh, so these are things that go on. But it's, it's very difficult to challenge what becomes the establishment logic or what becomes the established logic. Because when you go against it, then people say, once someone will say, big gaya, koi bolega dar gaya, koi bolega dimag nahi hai. And uska answer ye, usko, aapko, aap us, if you give logic, they say, but wo sab log to keh rahe kaise hai. So this is where we journalists have to keep our sanity and this is what makes our lives very tough.
All right. So now I'm going to be asking you the live viewers questions. By the way, I'm I'm uh, I just want to let you know a lot of the viewers and listeners of the Charwak podcast actually go and watch you and listen to you. Uh, uh, so I'm going to start with a question which is directly about your show. From a, I think this person watches your show regularly, and this person has asked, which bias, left or right, does he struggle to keep in check more in his cut the clutter show? uh and uh, and this is a viewer who says but i tend to see uh, that uh, the 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 way you present cut the clutter maybe does not uh, this is a comment i'll read the exact comment uh, and why isn't the rest of print as balanced as shaker <laughs> look, look 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 cut the clutter is a particular product cut the clutter see we are in a market we need product differentiation if i start giving gyan in terms of what i believe something to be right i will get a certain audience but it will not be of use to people cut the clutter is a utilitarian product it is so that people i am able to read up i am able to speak from experience i have people who read up for me and give me facts uh, and i can explain something to them so cut the clutter actually is a detailed explainer from an old uncle ji right who's been there done that uh, so i try to avoid opinion as much as possible and i must tell you that there is no struggle with this uh, controlling this bias or that bias because on cut the clutter when i state opinion i say so that look now i will tell you a minute of opinion uh, otherwise we keep it to facts and and we lift the layers to see what is the meaning of what's going on for example our cut the clutter on meghalaya that is not to say this party or that party is that is to say what are these tribes in meghalaya why are the khasis and jantias upset that so much power is with garos what is the tribal mix what was this separatist movement what happened to it it went dormant how did it come back and the fact that you had this ugly scene whereby protesters ransacked a police post commandeered a police scorpio stole a bunch of insas rifles from the police and then paraded in this city in the capital city of meghalaya uh in black with black hoods almost taliban style brandishing their rifles and it was ugly so i didn't have to take any view on it now rest of print print is an open house uh print has an institutional view it we are an institution and that institutional view is set stated on the key issues three to four times a day on what we call as a 50 word edits because i once calculated the longest tweet you can write is 50 words 280 characters if you divide it by words roughly it's about 50 words i said if i can make my point in a tweet why can't i write an editorial in a tweet because all the 500 word editorials that uh, newspapers write nobody reads them but 50 word edits people will read because they read tweets so so we state our institutional view there and once again you will find that view will find will get adverse reactions from one side or the other today for example we wrote it we wrote a 50 word edit welcoming the supreme court order on cbi inquiry in west bengal post poll violence we also said in the same 50 words that mamta banerji is calling it politically motivated so cbi also has to make sure that it should be non partisan so what happened immediately immediately a well known handle uh, say on the on one side of the fence responded amit malviya tweet from your own handle right 
it's as if Amit Malviya had written this editorial for us. Another one said something like that. Similarly, if we had said something, say, for example, uh, on anything where we think the BJP has done something wrong, the moment we say it, then we get abused from that side. So I think this goes on and on. Now, opinions of others are their opinions. Uh, what we try to do, uh, and we try very hard at it, we have a very robust editing team that even our opinion writers don't write anything that is factually wrong. And if it's factually wrong, we say sorry and we correct it and we make them correct it. And in the course of time, they all understand. Two things we are very careful about are opinion writers' facts and also for all of us, plagiarism. Now, we've all bought the most expensive and the most comprehensive plagiarism software because people just think, and that's a uh, no excuse offense. But uh, the print has its own view, and the print has many people who are opinionated and whose opinions can differ greatly. And when I share their articles, then I'm not necessarily endorsing their opinions. That's why we have the hashtag, the print opinion. But I can't keep explaining it. I don't see the need to keep explaining it because I think readers are smart. All right. So again, this is a viewer from outside India. I Again, a viewer of your uh, your portal to, uh, and you know, regular reader of your portal, they have asked two, three questions together. So this, I guess, is uh, when you had started. So is centrism a bad word in Indian media or even Indian politics? Uh, and do we need to maybe explain centrism a little better? Also, this person has asked, um, you know, as a journalist who has witnessed much of India's history, what worries you the most? The same person has asked you both these questions. Well, uh, first of all, <clears throat> what worries me the most is the return of identity in our thinking and the return of micro-identity. Uh, that's one. I have always believed that our founders got everything right about India, most things right, but they got one thing wrong. And that wrong thing was when they gave us a slogan, unity in diversity. They should never have said unity in diversity. They should have said celebrate diversity. But this idea of unity in diversity, one this, one that, one this, one that, this will cause centrifugal pressures and this will cause other complications. Uh, so that is what worries me. Uh, the second thing you said, centrism, centrism. So I don't use centrism anymore. I said unhyphenated. You have to be unhyphenated, which means you can't get your own facts. And you can't say that I have my opinion and I will not be confused by facts because facts are facts. Uh, now, in politics, yes, uh, you need leaders, you need an Indian leadership that is closer to the center, a little bit on the left or a little bit on the right. Right now, you have one leadership that is socially very far on the right and that is uh, economically here and there, uh, they do a few things which look like they are right of center, but a few th things which are not quite like that. Uh, so I really regret the fact that a force, a truly sort of libertarian force like Swatantra Party did not rise in India. Because that would have been, a, in a good way, they would have found the essence of Indian thinking, culture, and Indian tradition, which is entrepreneurial. 
and which All is right. like so, which is what charvak would have recommended how nice of you but then uh, shekhar a lot of people um, uh, have asked me this question on the international media and the role they have played in the coverage of india what do you make of the role of the international media and their coverage of india in general look there is international media and international media and there are international journalists and journalists uh, i would say by way of tools of the trade tools of explaining a story of putting out a story there is a lot to learn from there i would also say that some of the coverage uh, lately uh, not lately i would say that but traditionally i would say has been colored by the politics of the day in india and in the us so today uh, if narendra modi is seen to be india's trump right for an american journalist based here or by a british journalist as india's boris johnson uh, then you instinctively go on the other side then the government of the day also is not helping its cause by not talking to the foreign media you have to talk to the foreign media because if you don't talk to the foreign media they will do their jobs they'll go and talk to somebody in a press club or uh, in iic or, or wherever so there's a bunch of those things also the rope if you have problems with how the foreign media is covering you and you think that's biased and unfair let your own media to be uh, own media be as free as possible because the counter to critical foreign press is not uh, not the press that totally bats for you in india because that is again inviting the mark telly phenomenon back in our lives and we don't want All right so let me go to the next question now um okay 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 so somebody has asked why uh, why do journalists keep giving me what each political party has opinions on each other why don't more journalists focus only on citizen opinions well first of all this is a democracy politicians represent citizens uh, they get votes and they, rep- they they speak for a bunch of citizens so politicians are important uh second citizens yes but you know uh, in a country of 138 crores how many citizens opinion can you take so you will take i take your point that we should go to the ground and talk to a lot more people which is what we try to do but in a democracy people will be represented by their politicians what is not right is and maybe what you are yes, responding to is this tutu meme that we see on tv channels where we know spokesperson from the bjp and spokesperson from the congress or tmc we know what each one will say and then it goes on it's very predictable so in fact if you ask me what do i watch at prime time when cricket is not running these days fortunately cricket runs quite a lot uh, because the matches are in england so timing works like that otherwise at prime time mostly i watch a channel called masti it is on i think sony something uh, sony mix or something like that the masti channel which has the finest collection of old hindi film music i don't watch prime time because prime time is just this side and that side and then it's a, it's a it's a fake fight which you can enjoy if you want to so we don't all right somebody has asked we keep listening to this view again and again about india that there is fascism in india nobody is allowed to speak what's your personal view Well, fascism is a very strong word. Uh, fascism comes from 
racism of a kind. Uh, I don't think I'd let anybody use it in our publication about anybody but actual fascists uh, like Hitler and Mussolini. There are there are trends in Indian politics which are disturbing and which we which we don't approve of and where our disapproval is well known and publicly stated. Uh, we believe, for example, that if 15% of Indian Indians feel that they are completely out of the system, that they don't have any share in power, they have no share in nation building, or they have no share of the power pie in the country, then it's problematic because it's difficult to carry uh, the country together like that. So there are issues, but I don't think there are issues that cannot be addressed through democratic processes. Now, some people may get at some point very despondent and say, oh, this is like Germany of 1936. But that's a bit like, you know, people tend to exaggerate. People tend to use expressions like the Holocaust, uh, like, uh, like ethnic cleansing. I mean, you have to understand what was the Holocaust, right? It was 6 million people yeah. killed. Uh, you have to talk about, you say ethnic cleansing. You have to understand what happened in Bosnia, right? And Herzegovina. That is ethnic, ethnic cleansing. Uh, but, and when you do that, then you can't always say at the same time that, oh, what happened, say, in Kashmir in 1990 was an aberration. That is also not correct to say. So these are, but we are so polarized right now that everybody uses extreme expressions. So the other side might say, oh, these guys are anti-national. They are sold to the Chinese. They are sold to the Pakistanis. Uh, they want India to break up. It's my belief that India has almost nobody who wants India to break up. Even those who might say this in anger sometimes. India has very few people. When I say almost nobody, you can, you can always find me a few. But I don't think there is half a percent of people in India who would want something like that. So, so we have to keep our sanity. So, you know, this question actually on this breaking India thing. So what do you, do you make of the recent Pew polls then? You know, I think the Pew polls basically broke the heart of everyone, right? It did not fit into the narrative of fascism is rising in India and minorities kind because most of the people polled in that from the minority completely was like, we're pretty happy in India. It also broke the heart of the other side, which said, you know, everything is dying uh, in a Hindu khatre mein hai. So what do you make of the recent Pew polls then? Well, first of all, <clears throat> they they are scientific. They talk to a sufficient number of citizens. So you knew how India feels right now. And you can then see how India deals with identity. We Indians love our identity as Indians. We love our identity as Hindus, Muslims, Christians, Sikhs, atheists, whatever. We also love our identity. I'm not, we means generally in terms of caste, ethnicity, food, uh, culture, festivals. We have many denominators of identity. We don't want something forced upon us. That's why you saw that idea that, look, I'm happy. I'm Hindu. I'm happy with a Muslim, with my fellow Muslims. But, but don't ask me to prove it by having our children intermarry. Right? And the same thing from Muslims. In fact, we even share our superstition. 
a majority of muslims in india believe in afterlife right so we are a we are a country of a kind that's the reason i keep saying don't say unity in diversity say celebrate diversity you let that diversity be don't try to make everybody secular everybody left uh etc or everybody uh hindu or everybody speak in hindi will be fine and that is in fact i was very enthused by that pew survey i thought this was a brilliant survey because it held the mirror up to all of us all right shekhar uh, so somebody think um, somebody is asked does shekhar think that the reason media houses are grilled more nowadays is because some preach for a long time of uh, moral high ground while people can you know call the biases out very easily okay see first of all there is democratization of information one because there are so many institutions uh, so the newspaper of record has now disappeared earlier times of india in india was a newspaper of record the hindu in the south was the newspaper of record the tribune in chandigarh was a newspaper of record so the newspaper of record now is gone because you are getting information from many sources then there is a social media there is social media there is fact checking there is also mass fact checking uh, so people have the ability to learn more and people now have the wherewithal to raise questions because a lot of because social media is entirely free everywhere so that's why questioning is coming up the second thing is as people get more polarized they see anybody who's not going with their view as biased so inaccurate is not biased people can be unbiased and yet be inaccurate people can be accurate and yet be biased so this i don't take offense to readers asking these questions i think these are legitimate questions that readers must ask <clears throat> and i don't even worry about the fact that a lot more readers can ask these questions and they can ask them more prolifically in fact we all have to learn now to answer these questions more uh more prolifically we may not be able to answer everybody but as many as possible and where we mess up where we get something wrong say sorry put your hand up say i'm sorry we shouldn't we are wrong on this and we are correcting that i can tell you there is nothing nothing that audience is like more than if you tell them ah i got it wrong i'm correcting it because audiences also think one reason audiences come at the media so aggressively is that audiences think that media people have become very arrogant they begin to think ke hum avatar hain hum khuda hain humne keh diya meri baat mano main keh raha hu ye karo we have to have some things journalists need they need humility and they need curiosity and to have curiosity you need humility because if you don't have humility then you will think i know everything why should i why should i be curious i've been around 45 years kaun si cheeze jo humko nahi pata right lekin ab soch rahe yaar ye to pata hi nahi tha aaj pehli baar pata laga hai mujhe uh that is when you are curious but you are only curious when you have humility and frankly an impression has grown that journalists are not particularly people given to humility of any kind they are people who come and talk down to you and who tell you that listen silly fellow don't you know i'm much smarter than you so listen to what i am saying people don't like that and i think uh hopefully more and more journalists will see through that 
All right. Uh, last questions, Shekhar. I'm conscious of your time. Uh, so somebody has asked why most students from Indian mass media and journalism tend to be leaning towards a particular ideology, basically left-leaning. Also, <laughs> what do you think as a veteran journalist who has been in this industry for a long time, uh, what do you make of the rise of, I like to use the term non-left media, even the questioner has asked the non-left media, what do you make of the rise of non-left media portals in India? Obviously, not just in the print or the digital space, but even in television in general. So what do you make of those? So first, why do you think most of journalists tend to be left-leaning? And what do you make of the rise of non-left journalism? And these will be the last questions. See, first of all, the problem in India is that First of all, campuses all over the democracy. Uh, younger people on campuses tend to be on the left liberal side. Uh, any campus is barring the odd campus, which is defined as a right wing campus. Uh, they tend to be on that side. Because when you are young, you are more idealistic. When you are more idealistic, you are less materialistic. Uh, particularly if your daddy has done well in life, you don't have to worry about material pleasures. You, those are all guaranteed then you can be more of a revolutionary, right? Uh, so that is what happens at campuses. Uh, that's common to all democracies. Uh, America, Britain, Germany, and counting democracies, South Korea, Japan, that's quite common. Second thing in India is that in India, what is left or what is liberal, that idea has got mixed up. So to be liberal in India, you have to be left. To be liberal on social values in India, you have to be left on the economy. And to be, to be liberal on the economy, you have to be right on social values. That is my big problem in India. And that is if I can make a small contribution personally and through this institution is to challenge that notion that liberalism does not have to be hyphenated with left or right. That only left is not liberal, right? Uh, I can be liberal, but I can still say economic reform was great, that yes, all growth causes inequality, and but, and, but a rising tide lifts all boats. I agree that it lifts the yachts first, so rich get richer, but the poor don't get poorer. Now, that is something that becomes difficult because with that, if you also say every Muslim is an equal citizen, Muslims uh, should get equal, uh, at least a reasonable representation in our power structure, then people say, because the understanding is that you have to be left to be liberal. And that is why a lot of our political economy has got toxified over time. And that is why our political thinking has got toxified over time. See how our language has been built our, uh, of our political economy. Public sector is government sector, but it's called public sector. Private sector is public sector, but it's called private sector. Private sector is owned by the public, by shareholders. Public sector is owned by the government, but huh, public sector is owned by the public, right? Uh, so this is, and similarly, people have done this this tamasha to suit them because these are the bureaucracies of the past which sold socialism down our throat. So I always say that Mrs. Gandhi's socialist civil servants around her, all brilliant people, they carved out these islands in Delhi 
शांति निकेतन आनंद निकेतन बसंत विहार सुंदर नगर एटसेट्रा 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 एंड दे गेव देमसेल्व्स टू थाउजेंड स्क्वेयर यार्ड होम्स एंड दे रेस्ट लेफ्ट द रेस्ट ऑफ डेली टू द मर्सी ऑफ डेली डिस्ट्रक्शन अथॉरिटी व्हिच इज माय नेम फॉर डीडीए सो सो द सेम टॉक्सिफिकेशन स्टिल कंटिन्यूज लुक एट दिस प्रोटेस्ट अबाउट डीनेशनलाइजेशन ऑफ टू नेशनलाइज्ड बैंक्स every year those banks are eating up equity taxpayers money they should go but to say that no 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 they are only doing it because this government is in power what were they doing when your government was in power you created monopolies and get they lost money and yet india was so underbanked that all your peerlesses and saharas and all kinds of scams and chit funds came in so this is where i agree with your questioner that i wish i wish we had people also i wish we had people liberal people on the right uh, i wish an indian indian history writing we had a neil ferguson uh, a people like that but at the same time it's also true that in our academic system and the structure power distribution was such that over the past 50 years would have been difficult for a neil ferguson to come up and survive today neil ferguson is become so good and is so respected that even harvard university had to accommodate him but that is where we need more openness in india on our campuses also yeah i i agree with you but i think uh, this is uh, the current situation in uh, what i say the non left what you call the right in india is also because of the demonization by the left i think if the left would you know really stop demonizing the folks on the right as uh, uh, bloodthirsty vampires looking to suck the blood out of everyone i think we would have had a lot of uh, a lot of changes in this society but uh, i think uh, unfortunately the problem is that every time you talk to somebody on social media uh who's not from your so called quote and quote cant or camp or ideological leaning you know people start aspiring motives to you they will even attack your family like i don't understand why why this is i mean main hamesha mere log mere doston ko bolta hu na yaar tum ghar pe rehte ho mummy papa se har cheez mein agree karte ho kya wife se har cheez mein agree karte ho to ye kya rule hai ki social media pe har aadmi se agree karna hota hai ghar mein to hota nahi hai ghar mein allowed hai magar social media pe allowed nahi hai so i don't know why this is to be very honest well i think i think this is the pressure of social media this is like saying i know you so well why can't you agree with me i know you so well we are friends how can you have a different view so this is like people have people meet over a drink at a bar uh, and then argument breaks out and friends can also come to blows that happens rarely but on social media this happens all the time but i think we have to see social media in perspective so there is a the real world is beyond social media particularly twitter twitter is very small very small twitter is twitter is truly an echo chamber echo chamber where people you can hear the echoes of those who agree with you and those who disagree with you my problem with twitter is i find it very boring now that i know exactly what somebody is going to say on what issue I agree with you. All right, Shekhar. So I guess we'll wrap it up to it, uh, for today. But before wrapping it up, uh, I'll uh, leave you uh, with the uh, with the last comments. Uh, first of all, thanks a lot for coming. I really appreciate this because I think uh, conversations like this will 
go a long way in creating some sort of a bridge because uh, I think uh, I know a lot of viewers of the print may not like the Charvak podcast. Some viewers of the Charvak podcast may not be appreciative of the print. But if we can have these kinds of conversations, I think we create a little bit of space uh, for for uh, you know people trying to understand different perspectives. So uh, first of all, thanks a lot for coming and I'll leave you with the last words. Thank you very much. And it's been a wonderful conversation. And thank you, all the viewers who sent in their questions. I know there were a lot many, but you can send them to me on Cut the Cutter. I will respond, respond to them. All right, guys. Time to wrap today's discussion up. First of all, uh, this the aim of today's discussion was to create a culture where we can have conversations without attributing motives to each other. I hope I have done this first step. I'm really grateful to Shekhar for coming and having this conversation with me. Uh, print is a great portal. I would recommend all of you to go and check it out. I always tell you to go on all other portals too. So I would say please go and check print out too. Follow Shekhar on Twitter. And if you want to support the Chawak podcast, you know the drill. YouTube, Patreon, Merch, or UPI. <clears throat> I'll see you guys next time. Until then, Kushal, before care. I go away, before I let you go, sure. can I just add something? You asked me a question about other portals or other institutions that, that have come up on the right. So yes, I sir. would say that there are good ones on the right. There are good ones on the left. There are not very good ones on the right. There are not very good ones on the left. But first of all, since I am a professional journalist, more journalists get employed, the happier I am. So I do hope more and more media grows and more and more journalists get jobs. The second thing is that, in fact, I am happy that there are some institutions coming up on the right with that point of view. For example, they are sometimes critical of me, but I quite like and respect Swarajya because I get a sense from them uh, of the thinking of one side, which I don't get otherwise. They also have the best stories and the best coverage of a lot of the infrastructure projects, a lot of the government decisions, which are very important, uh, and great commentary by people like, say, our Jagannathan, who's my former colleague. Uh, so that is there. And in fact, I greatly regret the fact that in India, we've lost the culture of political parties having their own newspapers. So Congress party has tried to revive its National Herald, at least online now. Uh, the left had very powerful papers. Maybe there are in, they are in Bengal, in Kerala now. But say the BJP, BJP has so much money now. BJP is so well endowed. Why can't they revive motherland? It shut down during the emergency. It was a paper of the RSS and Jansang then. Uh, Malkani used to be editor. It was shut down uh, during the emergency. Uh, why, why isn't the BJP working at reviving it? Parties in a democracy should have mouthpieces as well. Frankly, when the parties have their own official mouthpieces, then it will become more challenging for others to become mouthpieces also. <laughs> so. All right, guys. So here you go. So Shekhar has uh, demanded the BJP to start its newspaper again. I guess all of you, I know a lot of you are BJP voters. So go and tell BJP. Bhaiya, I mean, newspaper BJP ago. starts Motherland or something like this. I'll be among the first subscribers. Too. Great. All right, guys. We'll end today's discussion. I'll see you next time. Until then, namaste. Take care. Goodbye. Thank you.